Good morning. Great to be with you today, worship team. Ah, thank you. That was just like taking a nice drink, wasn't it, this morning? Worship team, I love it. Even with Wes and Callie out, who typically lead the team, uh, that, was, that was tremendous. Thank you. That was my wife who just was on the microphone uh, with some baby spit up. She said, Anya, but let me just set the record straight. Baby, you look good. <laughs> Wherever you are, you look good. That's right. I got to be careful. I've got four kids already. I mean, better be careful. Better be careful. I have no problems talking about things that might be considered uh, taboo for church. Uh, my name is Andy. This is High Point Church. This is what we call a church plant or a church startup so to speak. We're a growing church. Uh, we've got uh, campus ministries that are in full swing uh, right now at Life University, at Kennesaw State University. We've got people in our church breaking into Reinhardt University, which we're just thrilled about. We're excited about all that God is doing in this family. And by the way, let's not stop there. There are families that are coming to faith here. This isn't just a church for college students. This is a church for you wherever you are, that you might grow in your faith, that you might follow Jesus in heart, mind, and action and with everything you've got. And so that's why we go to such great lengths to whew, put a pipe and drape, fix this school up right nice, because we believe God wants to do something extraordinary with you, with me, and us together. We're better together. And right now, that's not a message you hear a whole lot right now. In fact, together isn't really, it's not language we really hear at all in our country, period, right now. Getting together on anything, it feels like, is, is, is a miracle. But we know that our God is a God of miracles, and the reason we know is because the Cubs won the World Series. Yeah, if you're a guest here today and you're wondering if God is real, look no further. 108 years they've been waiting. It's about time. Joking aside, we do believe in a God of miracles. And we do believe in a God that can do the impossible. And we do believe in a God who loves it when his people come together and live in unity. And that's why we're starting a series today called Better Together. And I scrubbed the entire message for today. You're going to get it some other time. I, it was one of those things I was praying about, and then I got some texts from people in the church, things that they were praying about, and I thought, okay, I know the Holy Spirit. I know God is moving here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to take this message and we're just going to put it over here in the parking lot because this is what needs to be preached. We are better together. Despite what everything tells us and tells you that we should be in our own camps of belief and doctrine and political this and political that, we are better as a people as Christ followers, as a church, when we are together. That's a fact. Make no mistake about it. 
We're better as a people of God. And when we're together on the right things, and we stop fooling around on the dumb things. And yes, I just said that. There are things that are not worth your time that we are fighting about. Maybe not us specifically. Let me give you a, a little history today. There, there's a guy in the 16th century. His name was, I want to make sure I pronounce it right, <clears throat> Rupertus Melodinius. That's a name. You want to give your son a name? Name him Rupert. He's going to be in for a long <laughs> road, okay? He was a theologian. He was a German theologian. He, he, he wrote, uh, he had several works of composition. Uh, he was an educator. Uh, but he became famous for something that he penned during the Thirty Years' War. And if you don't remember or know about the Thirty Years' War, it was basically a war that started out between Protestants and Catholics. They began fighting about surprise issues within their prospective religions, even though they both believed in Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection. There were different practices that each held to that were different, and they were fighting about it. And it got so ugly and it got so ruthless that blood needed apparently to be shed. Divided the entire Holy Roman Empire. When the Roman Emperor Ferdinand II was appointed emperor, he decided that he would make the entire empire Catholic. And the Protestants said, I don't think so. And the war started. And it lasted for roughly 30 years. started out as a war regarding differences in Christian practice. It turned into a war involving all of every single great power in Europe. And something that you need to know that I think is important and has great bearing for us is that while this war started out uh, as, a, as, a, as a difference in religious belief, it began to become a war that was also very racially tense given the fact that every single great power and country got involved in this war. And then this war that involved religion and involved race, it took on a new turn. It took on the turn of, of politics because whoever won was going to gain the right to appoint who they believed would be the best emperor over the entire Holy Roman Empire. Now, I know it's hard to believe that people would have a fight that involves religion, race, and politics, but they did for 30 years. Divided the empire, and 8 million people died because of it. And our friend, we'll call him Rupert, he penned something during the Thirty Years' War that began to bring some peace and began to bring some conversations at the table that were greatly needed. 
And while he penned it in a different language than the one I'm going to read it in, in essence, this is what it said. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Simple, isn't it? Yes, so wise. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in everything, love. He understood something that Jesus understood. I don't know if you realize this. We're going to get to it in a second. But Jesus spent a good deal of time praying for you and I to be unified. Paul spent a good time of the letters in the New Testament. If you don't know who Paul is, he's one of the greatest apostles we've ever seen. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And much of it was devoted to trying to keep this group of people together and unified. In case you didn't know it, the apostle Peter spent a great deal of time trying to bring people together and to be unified. The apostle John spent time trying to get people unified. Because unity is a big deal. And guess what everybody knew we were going to struggle with? Being together. The truth is this. We're better together. I'm going to do what people say that nobody should do in a church. We're going to talk about politics today. I see some fist pumps and I see some heads shaking. <laughs> it's going to be a great morning because you are not going to be leaving here with me telling you who to vote for. That is not it at all. That's between you and Jesus. But what I do know is that in two days, we're going to elect the next president of the United States. And our country has never been more divided over a presidential election in the history of this nation. And we would be delusional to think that just because someone is finally sitting in the presidential seat, that the disunity that has been so pervasive in the church across our country would simply go away. The reality is this election has only served to rise, to, to bring what's already in our hearts up to the surface. It didn't produce anything that wasn't already there. And so this morning, we're going to deal with this thing. I'm going to preach a message that's probably out of order given the series that we're going to start and that we're in. I don't care. We've got two days and this church, me included, we need to prepare our hearts to be the kind of church that Jesus Christ died for. That we might be a light, not only to us and to this, these four walls, but to the people who are watching you and I and how we serve the God that we are so anxious to talk about whether it's on social media or at work or every other place where we can breathe our thoughts and opinions. Let's do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
Lord, we do. We thank you this morning. We believe in you. God, we need your strength and your power right now. In our lives, in our marriages. God, in our, in our families, in our very homes. Lord, we need your strength and goodness and power in our country right now. And Lord, we appeal to you in this moment and we're asking that you would speak to us this morning and that you would help us grow to be more like you. Amen. If you've ever had a child, uh, there's a unit that you get taken to or a department, uh, forgive the poor use of verbiage here. When, when you're having a baby and, and your wife thinks it's time to go to the hospital, you, well, you go and you get checked in and there's an area that you get sent to called triage. And triage is a French word which means to sort, to order, which means all of these pregnant women who are coming in, triage is, is meant and designed, forgive what may sound crass or crude, but it's designed to, to, to sort out who needs to go to the delivery room the quickest. And so oftentimes you have first-time moms who come in and, you know, they've got a cramp and they think it's time. And they're feeling pretty good and they're eating like a sandwich and all that stuff. And then somebody else comes in in a wheelchair who's like, ah, and everybody just stops, and you know. Why don't you go ahead and give the room to her? That's triage. You're treating those who are in the most significant place of need. And so this morning, what we're beginning to talk about in the essentials unity and the non-essentials liberty, but in everything love, we're going to begin to sort some things in the Christian faith. There are things that are essential to Christianity, like four legs of a chair. And if you remove one of them, the whole thing begins to topple. And there are other things that just, frankly, are not. They're non-essentials. But we're doing the very opposite more often than not. We're, we're evaluating incorrectly. Rather than fighting the fights for unity over the things that truly matter, the essentials, we're fighting over the things that ultimately don't matter called the non-essentials. We're getting the order wrong and therefore this whole support system is beginning to feel wobbly. Are you with me this morning? So because we have two days before the election, rather than actually talking about the four to five essentials that we must have to be able to call ourselves Christians, we're going to talk for a minute first about what it means to have liberty with the non-essentials. Turn to John 17. Verse 20 through 23. The reality is, as human beings, as fallen beings, even though we have been made new, if you're sitting here and maybe this is your first time or you're coming back to church after a long time, uh, this is a message that in many ways is, is specific to those who are calling themselves Christians. But make no mistake about it, you can still practice it. You can still do this. 
Don't feel lost this morning. Normally the message is, is a little more, more wide and everybody is gleaming from it and growing from it. This is very specific to those who are calling themselves Jesus' followers. In other words, what I'm saying is if you don't follow Jesus this morning, you kind of have a free pass. Kind of. Ish. Okay. John 17. This is Jesus. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We'll stop right there. Jesus is actually praying for somebody right here. It might surprise you. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for our church. He's praying for the ones to come who would believe in him based on the testimony of the disciples. And he does so, picking it back up, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. And as you have loved me. I'm reading this section or meditating about this, but let's just call it what it is. Jesus is that we would have unity. And while we're going about it, that that unity is supposed to fight over, it's supposed to show a world that Jesus is who he said he is. That's the point of it. Take this and drive it a little bit further. I'm going to talk about alcohol for a second. Because growing up as a young man in the faith, faith meant don't drink. It meant don't have sex before you're married. And sometimes it meant don't dance. What else did it mean? <laughs> I can't even remember now. But basically it was three or four big things, and if you didn't do that, you were good. Anybody else experience a little bit like that? I experienced it. That was faith. Don't do, don't do these things. You're a Christian. Gravy train. And I want you to understand. This, this, it took a minute for me to come to this place. But alcohol is a great example because alcohol used to, and sometimes still in the Bible Belt, is a tremendous issue for Christians. Can Christians drink? Interesting thing to postulate. If we were to have this conversation downtown Atlanta, there would hardly be one Christian who said that they had an issue with it. Does that make it right? Or does it make it wrong? Neither. But let me let me just say this. Jesus drank wine. Rewind the tape. Let's say this one more time. <laughs> Jesus drank alcohol. Our Lord and Savior, who died and rose again, drank alcohol. So how then can we in turn look and say, Christians don't do that? It doesn't make any sense, does it? The scriptures don't even say that. It does say, however, don't be drunk, but be drunk in the Holy Spirit. Now, 
if you're not 21, don't drink. It's not right for you because we as Christians are to what? Obey the laws of the land. And that is the law in this country. So guess what you need to do? You need to obey that law. But understand that as you grow in your relationship with God, look, if you want to have a glass of wine at dinner with your spouse or your girlfriend or your friend, who is to say that you can't? You have that freedom in Christ Jesus. You are not uh, bowing down to the law, but the freedom that you experience in the spirit of Christ that lives inside of you. But understand that in your freedom, you can sin. You can indulge the flesh. And so understanding history, the point of not drinking was to help the church not get drunk. And to be a poor example to the community. But what ends up happening is we, we begin to become legalistic. And now that defines what it means to be a Christian. When this was supposed to simply be a suggestion to help you live right. And so oftentimes now we have Christians, the other side of the fence, who say, you know what? I'm a Christian that drinks. And that's their badge to the world. That's who I am. I'm a drinking Christian. And you got your own set of issues. That's dumb. Amy and I were at a concert last night, and the amount of people who you could tell were just trying to make sure that everybody knew that they were a person of faith with, hey, check out this drink I have. I'm a cool, I'm a cool Christian. I'm a drinking Christian. Awesome. No, you're not. You're a dork. <laughs> Joking aside, listen to this for a second. Getting to a place where you're in the, the seat of grace will help you understand that people can love Jesus and have a drink. People can love Jesus and vote Republican. People can love Jesus and have a fun time dancing or eating this or drinking that. People can love Jesus and vote Democrat. And the reality is this, while one issue to you is the thing that you believe Jesus cares about the most, another person looks at an issue on this side of the fence and thinks, this is what Jesus cares about the most. And the truth is, we need to come to the middle and understand that Jesus cares about all of it. And maybe you're leaning this way, and maybe you're leaning that way, so what do we do? We have grace, and we extend grace liberty because who you vote for as president is not an essential doctrine of Christianity. In fact. I got a few more minutes. So the music sounds great. Right? I mean, it was going to take a minute this morning. Because rather than just giving you information, I want to give you several things to do. Because it's hard not to get in fights at times, isn't it? Because there are things that we hold dear. 
that other people are fighting for and other people are not, and other people are fighting for this and other people are not. There's race involved. There's religion involved. There are issues involved. There's immigration involved. There's what isn't involved. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, number one, for the hearts of the men and women in positions of leadership. And that means that you get to pray for Donald J. Trump, whether you want to or not. And that also means that you get to get on your knees and pray for Hillary Rodham Clinton. Whether you want to or not, it doesn't matter. That's not what Jesus and the scriptures are inviting you to do. To consider whether you want to pray for this person, whether you like them or not. The reality is they're both in positions of great leadership. And we should be praying that God uses them wherever he takes them and whoever wins. Check out Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. And he made a proclamation throughout his realm, and he put it in writing, and this is what it says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and build the temple, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. If you don't know Old Testament history, Cyrus is not an Israelite. He's not considered one of the people of God, but you know what he's in? He's in a position of tremendous leadership. And guess what happened? God moved in his heart. And his heart was open, and God used him despite the condition of his life. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that who we vote for doesn't matter. Because you need to follow the Holy Spirit and vote for who you believe Jesus would have you vote for. But understand this, whoever sits on the seat of the most powerful position in the United States, it pales in comparison to the God that we serve. There is a government that exists in our country and there is a government that exists over this world. And God that I serve has the power to move and change and alter the hearts of Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. You can clap for that. That's exactly That's a good thing. It should inspire you to pray. It should inspire you to get on your knees and say, God, help this person. God, move in this person's life. Move, God. I thank you for putting people around them that are speaking life and truth. In the name of Jesus, I'm praying for them. Guess what else you get to do? You get to respond in grace and truth. seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. There are issues that you have that are, that are godly issues. Things like abortion. That's an issue we're talking about. Big one. But for many people, it's not as simple as law or not law. There are other factors involved. And if you've ever sat with someone who's broken over it, 
You know there are other things and heaviness and weight and what we need to do as a people of God, not only speaking to those who have had abortions, but just the issue at large, immigration, race, the tensions at large, is walk in both grace and also truth. Just like Jesus, you're walking in the fullness of his grace, and yet on the same side of that coin, walking in the fullness of his truth. And you know what that extends to people? Liberty. To follow Jesus and that the Holy Spirit working in their life is a better bringer to the truth than I will actually ever be. If I can trust God with this person, and I believe that this is this right here is true and this right here is wrong, but they're not going to hear it. Guess what you get to do? You get to walk in grace and you get to walk in truth and you get to trust that the God of heaven and earth can move in anyone's life. Anyone's life. I think we should pray for America to repent of idolatrous confidence in the power of government to save us. <laughs> I'm not going to spend forever on this. But ladies and gentlemen, if you are sitting here and you are speaking doom and gloom, 
And our country is going to hell in an Easter basket if this person's elected president or this person's elected president. Guess what? You're putting too much faith in our government because our government can't save people. It can't pull people out of the deception in their heart. It can't change the, the, the relationship in a marriage. It cannot change the nature of someone's brokenness before a perfect and holy God. Only Jesus can do that. And he is not speaking doom and gloom over this country. And he is not speaking doom and gloom over any country. He's speaking life. And we should too. people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their ways, their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I believe that's true. It wasn't written for this nation particularly, but it's true though. Lastly, I'm praying and inviting you to pray that the church, this church, would be a powerful witness of Jesus to a broken and lost world. We're better together. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is sending you. Sending us. We are a light in a dark place. Father, be with us. Help us. God, help us in our passions. Help us in with our faith. Help us to practice what we preach. Help us to passionately follow you. Help us to have conversations with grace and truth. Help us to walk in humility. And God, we pray for our country. God, we thank you for, for this nation. God, we have massive mistakes. We have massive sin. We have massively walked away from you, Lord. But we're asking Jesus, even in this hour, that you would move Holy Spirit in this land. God, we pray for the leadership of this country. We pray that you would surround them with godly people. We pray that you would move in their hearts, Lord. We pray that we would be a people, not only governed by a holy God, Lord, but governed by godly leaders. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. 